if you like doing something, you'll be good at it. You know, yeah. if you like playing guitar and you're crap at it, but you keep practicing, eventually you'll be good at it because you love it. Yeah. But if, if someone tells you to go and learn guitar and you hate it and you don't want to do it, as a, as a young kid, you'll be crap at it forever because you don't have the passion to learn and improve. And it's no different in, in your chosen sport or your chosen recreation. That's fantastic, Jerry. Um, yeah, I really agree with that. I've, I've noticed um, even just, I've only coached um, a few athletes for a year or so, um, but I've really seen the, the how important that, that inner fire and that inner passion is to, if they really love their sport, they're just, they're ticking off um, all the one percenters and, and they're um, becoming a bit more of an in-depth learner. They're, they're knowing why, why they're doing it. Um, they're reading into it. They're trying to understand the purpose of each training session. Um, the danger is sometimes they get carried away, um, uh, but that's where I guess the coach's um, role is to try to hold them back. But I think it's important for everyone to know that everyone goes through you know, periods of like lack of motivation um, like that's normal, uh, but but at the, at the same time, I, I think when you see those really successful uh, performers, uh, they they understand the basics that they have to get right, and 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 uh, they understand the certain parts of training that is just a must, and and they need to be consistent with, like like brushing your teeth, and uh, they just get it done even on those 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 tough days and. And wherever it is, they need to have a period of, of downtime to, to recover and, and get that, that passion back. But yeah, that, I reckon you summarised it so well. Because um, I think that's a, that's a bit of a, a hidden part of um, successful performance. Uh, that's, um, it sounds basic, but it, it's something that I think a lot of, lot of um, athletes will... Um, it's good for them to hear um, and get reminded of... Um, uh, yeah, because I, I, there is definitely a strong correlation. Yeah, yeah, and and as you said, you can get too carried away and, and too single-minded. And again, that's where the moderation part of it, you know, and I use the example of, you know, you've done your great session, you're really happy, you've come home, you've checked your numbers, and, and that's it, it's finished. Move on, you know, but just don't carry on with that for you know, seven, eight more hours. That's that's extreme behavior, you know? Right, what's next? I've got to focus on something to do with work. I've got to go and help someone, my family, you know, the session's done, move on. And and keep that moderation, uh, that evenness, that level, level playing field sort of thing, and not be extreme all the time. Um, and and uh, so, so concentrated that you're forgetting what's happening around you, you know? the life that's going on around you, you're missing. Um, so, so I think that's, that's another lesson that I've definitely learned the hard way myself. And, um, you know, you can, you can burn bridges um, because you're just missing things. Um, you're just too involved in what you're doing. Um, and at the end of the day, uh, as we said, a, long, a lot of the times in this conversation, extreme behavior is unsustainable. Um, so something's gonna break down. Um, whether it's your body or your family or your relationship or your work, it is extreme behavior is unsustainable, and um, and you just gotta you know try to be moderate in in uh, in everything you're doing, but be consistent. That's that's my my tip. If I'm gonna give one tip, that'll be it. That's it. Consistently moderate.
Welcome to the Run Culture Podcast. My name is Dane Verway. I'm an experienced runner and running physiotherapist. I created this podcast not only so I had an excuse to talk running each and every week, something that I love to do, but more importantly, this podcast gives me the opportunity to interview fellow runners, friends and health professionals in a relaxed and easygoing format. This podcast is designed for the everyday runner, so we can all live, learn, grow and enjoy everything there is to running together. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of the Run Culture Podcast. Today, I'm very fortunate to be chatting to close family friend, Jerry Donnelly, who's pretty much family. I've known Jerry my whole life. My parents went to Ruslan Uni and studied PE teaching together with Jerry and his wife, Andy. Jerry was a high-level Ironman triathlete, winning the Australian Ironman Championships in 1988, finishing runner-up in 1989. He went to Kona twice, where he managed to place 23rd on one occasion. He also represented Australia in triathlon in the 1990 Auckland Commonwealth Games. And in recent years, he has trained his backside off to reinvent himself as a four-time Australian Masters cycling champion. Jerry now runs a triathlon and cycling coaching business called Travello Coaching, and is joint host with one of his sons, Jordan, on the Travello Get Fast podcast. Jerry, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Dane. Uh... You've done some research. Yeah, well, Jordan you helped had, me, and um, you would have had to go on back into the uh, into the archives at some library somewhere. <laughs> well, oh yeah, let's go back into the archives. Can, what can you remember uh, back in nineteen eighty eight? Well, you know, before then, how did you get into triathlon? How did you get into the sport? And back then, what did triathlon look like? Um. Triathlon was not around for very long when I first started, and I suppose the first event I ever did was 1981, and there wouldn't have been more than one race in Australia that year. Um, and each year there might have been another race added to the calendar, so it was, it was pretty new. And and look, I think the spark was the uh, the Ironman in Kona um, that that got everybody excited about this new sport um, in the in the 70s and. Um, the story is that uh, three guys in the bar, one was a swimmer, one was a bike rider and one was a marathon runner and they were having an argument to see who was the fittest athlete and of course the runner said, you know, running is the hardest thing you'll ever do and, you know, compared to cycling and swimming and, you know, this debate went on in a bar and they said, oh, let's, let's test ourselves and, uh, and, and have an event and they came up with this ridiculous format of, you know, swimming 4K and riding 180 and then running a marathon and, and that's how it started and, um, and it's just taken off. It's a worldwide phenomenon now. And, you know, it's one of those things that uh, people aspire to complete an Ironman. And, and some people do it in a massively uh, professional way. And some people do it as a box ticker and, you know, basically creep across the line in 17 hours. So, um, so that kind of, uh, that was on Wide World of Sports. Um, saw that on telly, got excited about that. My sporting background was so varied. My dad was such a enthusiasm enthusiast for for giving me the opportunity to play as many sports as I possibly could I don't know how he kept up with five kids taking us to I mean we played badminton we played table tennis we played basketball we played soccer on Saturday and footy on Sunday we did cross country we did win the swimming club we did track and field um there was hardly a sport that we didn't um you know get to have a, a go at so 
so I grew up just uh, going from venue to venue most weekends and uh, with my dad taking me and uh, the rest of our, our brothers and sisters everywhere. So so we really uh, we grew up uh, with a, a, a sort of a fitness-based background and, um, and I suppose once I got to uh, narrow my field of what I was interested in, the triathlon really appealed to me. And um, a lot of the purest runners or the purest cyclists or the pure swimmers would say triathlons for those people who aren't very good at any all three of those sports, which <laughs> is probably probably a lot in that. Um, and, you know, I always wanted to be elite at something, um, whether it was going to be chess or, um, or you know, soccer or footy or whatever. I just wanted to be at the top of... of, uh, of of the echelon and um and so i thought triathlon being a new sport you know that could be my opportunity to to really excel because i did come from a swimming background and i had done you know i've been a club cyclist for since 1980 78 80 um and i'd i'd grown up you know look i was doing intervals as, a, as an eight-year-old um at the local warrigal athletics track uh, with a legendary Jeff Watt, um, who happens to be Kathy Watt's dad, who won the Olympic gold medal at Barcelona on the on the cycling road world uh, road Olympic titles, and uh, so so I, I really had um, the right um, background to try this sport, and and not being outstanding at, at any three of them, um, I thought was a really good mix because mostly you're either good at cycling and swimming, or you're good at running and cycling and you're crap at swimming and so i was kind of okay at all three so that's kind of where i got my uh, passion to do the sport and who were some of your heroes at the time so were there some inspirations that you had that you really looked up to in those early days of the sport yeah there weren't too many people doing it to be honest Dane. and yeah. uh and um i suppose uh when i was competing um i was competing against the legend Dave Scott and Mark Allen, Scott Molina, Scott Tinley. Um, they all seem to be named Scott, didn't they? But, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, there, was, um, there was that kind of core four, famous four who were trail breakers. There was lots of other guys, Mike Pig and, and yeah, there was some fantastic uh, American athletes. It was a really dominated sport. Um, Australia had Greg Stewart who was, uh, who was, you know, ended up getting on the podium in the same year that I, the first year I went there, I think Greg came third. Um, and that that was that was great because I trained a little bit with Greg and um, and so there was just some local local inspirational guys who were who were you know trailblazers and and um, there wasn't you know we didn't have mobile phones there was no computers there's no internet so getting information about stuff like that you know you've got to understand the the era it was you could read a magazine once a month and you can't wait for you know the example of Runners World coming out or, or the Tri magazine you just waited for some more articles on what was happening in the world. So it was a pretty interesting time. Um, so you just couldn't Google anything about anything because it yeah. didn't exist. Um, so at the same time, there was no equipment, no, like I, oh, to measure my bike, I had a, a watch that told me what time of the day it was. So I knew when I started, I knew how long I'd been riding for. And then we progressed to a little computer that told us our speed. Um, but that's about all we had. Um, uh, and then I think Polar came out with a heart rate monitor. That was pretty uh, exciting. Um, but yeah, up until then, it was real trial and error. And um, yeah, I found it uh, fascinating. I, I just couldn't get enough information and trying to work out how to train and, and all that was, uh, was just such a great period in my life, I think. 
And Jerry, were you having much guidance or did you have a mentor, like given that it was a new sport and it sounded like, um, yeah, you were sort of, yeah, you didn't have all the, the beauty of seeing other people go through trial and error before you, like were you sort of a groundbreaker in a way um, or did you have someone helping you through and, and trying to um, nut out what the best training was for, for Ironman triathlon? Yeah, I suppose, um, you know, doing a, a PE course um, with exercise physiology, um, you know, I, I just couldn't get enough of that. And, and to the fact that we had one of the state-of-the-art labs where we could do VO2 testing in 1976, I mean, that was pretty outrageous. Um, and oh, I, I, I couldn't wait for, for more information about uh, training principles and, and you know, what methods were being used in the 70s because I'd already, as I said, I'd already done intervals in the 60s as, a, as an eight-year-old, um, you know, doing six by 400 intervals, you know, and there wouldn't have been any information about that. And, and Jeff Watt was definitely ahead of his time. And, um, and so I'd grown up, you know, for 10 or so years before I got to uni already knowing pretty much uh, the basis of training, um, but going to uni established that the science was behind what I'd been doing in, in practice. And it was great affirmation that what I'd been doing was um, already um, you know, le world leading, um, even though we were a little country town. And uh, I look, you know, I remember dad uh, taking us on the road uh, before the state titles at Olympic Park. We would go to other little ass venues around Victoria to find who was my competition um, and, and race against them. And, you know, who would do that as an eight, <laughs> nine, 10 year old? I mean, that's getting a, a little bit serious, um, but that's how that's how we we sort of grew up, um, you know. And you know, looking back, it's it's almost hilarious that we uh, we would combine our holidays with uh, athletic carnivals um, around <laughs> the state. So it's it's, uh, it's it's pretty funny, but uh, you know, it was no wonder we were we were the best. Our little our little running group in uh, in Warrigal, um had had guys who were you know, state cross country and national, you know. Uh, champion, so it was it was fantastic, and I suppose as a mentor, I, I searched the triathlon world for for who was being successful locally, and and tried to see what their training was, and trained with them, and and just because I had my own theories, but I wanted to see how and why they were being successful. Um, and I was still early days in it; they'd been probably in it for a, a little bit longer than I had, a year or two, which makes a difference in a sport like that. And there was one older guy who I spent a lot of time with, uh, a guy called Peter Farmer, and he was a mentor for me. And uh, I did a lot of training with him. And he was ten years older than me. I was at the time I was 20, 28. I think he would have been thirty-eight. He seemed old at the time, <laughs> as, as a thirty-eight-year-old. But um, <laughs> but he was incredibly uh, thought-provoking uh, athlete who who was really pushing the boundaries and. And uh, we did some, a lot of endurance rides, you know, four, five, six hour endurance rides side by side with a little group of guys and, and talking about all sorts of things about training. And, and we all headed to Kona together for the very first time in 1988. Um, so we sort of had a winter of training together from, from whenever we qualified, which is previous October or something to the next October. So, so we spent all of our Melbourne winter days, freezing cold, six hour rides, so I really got to got to hear what his philosophies were on training, and and we rode with some other good guys. We did some sessions with Greg Stewart and Tim Bentley, some of the um, the local legends, and and it was for me just gathering knowledge all the time, just being like a sponge, trying to trying 
trying to find as much information as I could about uh, what, what I could use to adapt to myself. Because I already knew the theory and I'd done a, a fair bit of the practical, but it wasn't in triathlon. It was in specific uh, riding and specific swimming and it was specific running. Um, and yet you had to combine them all on the one day. So there were variables that you had to, you had to learn. And just because you're a great runner didn't mean you're a great runner off the bike. Um, you know, the feeling is com completely different after you've ridden, you know, six hours on a bike to get off and try and run um, as compared to running fresh. Um, so, so yeah, I had to learn a lot, of, a lot about that and, and managing, managing the load, um, staying, uh, staying injury-free. That was massive. Um, and also trying not to get sick. Um, so, so the amount of volume of training for three incredibly arduous sports compared to doing one sport, um, I found quite overwhelming and um, that the, I think a lot of people were overtraining at the time. Just, just you know, they didn't really had time for work. It was, you know, work was an in-between thing for, for the next session. Um, yeah. You know, it was twice a day, seven days a week. So, um, so there were lots of people around with, uh, they seemed like they knew what they were doing, but in reality, everybody was just, um, learning as, as they were going and it really whoever was learning the quickest was getting the most success so so that was my goal is to, to try and turn myself around from being a mid-packer to, to being at the top of the field so yeah I was a real sponge I suppose. And in 88 when you did win the Australian Ironman Championships and became the Australian Ironman Champion uh, was that expected or was that a bit unexpected and um what do you like when you when you hark back to that day? Um, what do you remember from the lead up and the preparation and 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 the day in terms of like what do you put down your success to on that day to? Yeah, that's a great question. Look, I I definitely no one probably knew I was even in the race except for a few mates who I've been training with. Um, and that was a really good position to come from because there was a lot of good athletes in New South Wales and Queensland and and they they had a lot of uh, expectation on them and I had none. Um, but I knew that I had trained really well and I was really well prepared. Um, and uh, it was a matter of seeing if I could execute. Um, so I'd spent probably from 1981 to 1986. Uh, in 1986, I uh, gave up my job as a PE teacher to go full time. So I kind of put a bit of pressure on myself um, and uh, to see how far I could go in this sport. Um, I really found that uh, I couldn't train uh, and, and recover well enough trying to do a full-time job. Um, and so, so that was the start really of, uh, of really focusing on being serious and, um, and really trying to, as I said before, be a sponge and try and find what was successful and what wasn't successful. And I devised a program, um, you know, probably a year out from that race um, where that was going to be my, my big A race goal to see whether I, I'd made the right decision or whether I need to go back to work. Um, so I was put, putting a bit of pressure on myself, but uh, no one knew of me or, um, or what I was able, you know, capable of doing as an endurance athlete. So, so that was great going into the race um, with, with no pressure really, um, except for what I was placing on myself. So um, yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed that uh, and watched the other guys and I was sort of a bit in awe of the guys who were, you know, the number one, two, three, four numbers in the race and 
I was just uh, just another one of the, the numbers making up the, the field. So um, yeah, so that was really really uh, interesting from from the you know the, the build up at the of the week and the, the previous months and and how my training was going and um, and making sure that you know, I was eating the right food and uh, it was all experimental, Dane and. Um, and I suppose things like tapering, carb loading in nineteen you're talking nineteen eighties, you know, there wasn't a lot of uh, literature about it, but w- whatever literature there was, I'd read it. Um, and I spent a lot of my time researching and and uh, papers from medical journals and and you know any types new modern uh, types of training methods, um, what was working and what studies have been done with case studies of you know twenty. 20 test per people over an eight week period. I was looking at the results of that. And, and so it was, it was a fun, I really enjoyed it. Um, and then experimented on myself the whole time. Um, and I was doing lots of other races where I wasn't getting that much success. I was, I was in the top 20, the top 10, but you know, no one even remembers who's ninth or 12th or 15th or seventh, you know, it's only who wins or who's close to winning is, is what people are focused on. So that, that was kind of good that, I was experimenting with with all these training methods, and and I think I, I really uh, nailed it with with that event, um, uh, the training that I'd done, and the taper period, uh, the carb loading. Um, it was one of those days where I just felt like I was in control, and um, I still remember thinking, you know, where is everybody? Why? Because I I come out of the swim. You know, in the first, I don't know, I can't even remember exactly, but I was in, you know, within five or six of the lead, and because I was a reasonable swimmer, and uh, passing the the really good swimmer, you know, early on the bike, and I spent the rest of the day in front um, for the next seven hours, um, <laughs> um, just racing scared, really. Yeah. Um, and I know you you know that feeling, having won marathons from that yeah. exact same position where you've yeah. gone to the front and had to. Had to hang on, but you get confidence um, from knowing that you're being chased, and uh, and you can control your own destiny, really. Um, so really, having to manage my uh, my perceived exertion because that was pretty much what we were going by, you know, feel, um, which I would be aghast at people doing that now without knowing um, what pace they were running at in a marathon or what power they were pushing on a bike. You know, you just wouldn't do it by perceived exertion because obviously, what you feel like at the start. Um, feels easy, but for the same pace, feels extraordinarily hard at the end. Um, so that's obvious to people, but you know, perceived exertion was all we had. Um, so, act, you know, knowing how to read your body was a real key thing in my training. Um, and you know, there were times in my training sessions that after five or six hours where you know, I knew the average speed was still the same, but the feel was horrible. I was just, you know deteriorating quick and that's where the nutrition um, was so important uh, to make sure you got that right um, and to, to finish off an endurance event where it's going to be nine hours eight hours ten hours 12 hours you really have to feel right because no matter how fit you are if you don't get the feeling right you're just not going to continue um, yep. Yep. so so that that whole period the build-up um, I wasn't you know, you never, you're always second guessing yourself, and but I felt like I'd done most things right. And then on the day, um, it's probably you hate saying it, but it just felt like it was an, an easy day. Um, there was no stage where I was under pressure, and yet I did PBs in every single of the three legs. You know, my fatigue was zero, uh, my freshness and form was, was where it wants to be. Now I, I understand all that, you know. 
pretty much 35 years later, that's obvious. But in, in the 70s and 80s, it wasn't obvious. Um, and and I, think, uh, I think that's... I learned the most about um, the human body and what it can take in those days. Um, and, and now with the equipment, it, the scientific equipment is uh, confirming all of the things that I had learnt. Um, so it was it was uh, trailblazing days, and, yeah. um, and you know it was such an exciting exciting uh, a period in our life um, for because Andy kept working while I was uh, apparently a, a freeloader, not working and training <laughs> as a professional. Um, so you know it was a team effort, and um, you know she was doing all the hard yards while I was um, you know sleeping at home in between sessions. So. Um, so it was a pretty fantastic emotional day and to, to achieve that and for everybody to sort of say at the end of the day, who won? What was his name? Who won? And, and <laughs> that, was, that was pretty bizarre. The, my little group that we trained together all were ecstatic and uh, I remember Peter Farmer being over the moon and um, watching me that day on this, you know, just, you know, almost in tears. Um, with so much excitement. So um, it was great for our little group. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's a day I won't forget. And, um, and it was, you know, talk about uh, getting things right on the day. That was one of those experiences. So, like, with the benefit of hindsight now, um, yeah, 30-odd years on, um, when you reflect back on, on that day, do you feel, like, I, I sort of was thinking about, oh, I wonder what training you did. But then I, I guess, like, going full-time uh, with a triathlon and ma- enable, that enabled you to have, you know, a bit more rest throughout the day. Um, you, you mentioned nutrition as well. Uh, I guess it meant that you recovered really well and, and you focus, you were able to focus on that. Um, uh, I, I guess that, with looking back on it, that was probably like a huge, huge um, part of, of, of why you went well on the day. Oh, spot on, Dane. That was the difference between between what I was doing before. I was recovering. Um, before I was training and going to work flat out, and and you know, no matter how physically easy your job is at work, whether you're a labourer or whether you're a, an engineer, it still burns energy. Um, and to be able to relax in between training sessions. Um, and look after the nutrition, get a sleep in during the day, you know, a nanonap, nap, which, you know, which is really important. Um, and, you know, some days I might have been riding four or five or six hours um, and then I would swim an hour and a half in the morning. So I'd, I'd train for some days for six or seven hours and other days it'd only be two or three. But, you know, having the recovery uh, where you could rest um, and eat well um, and concentrate on some, some core and flexibility and... And a little bit of you know self massage and all of all the one percenters that you couldn't have time for, or you, you you can make time for these things, but it's 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 a really difficult thing. Um, so so I just think the improvement for me came from understanding uh, you know the recovery and rest, how important it was. And as I said earlier, I just think everybody was training too hard, including having to work and have families at the same time. Um, I think there's too much. Uh, fatigue being carried uh, and and by the time people got to race day they were done before the race even started and and that's the biggest lesson I think that I've learned and I I use that now in all of our coaching that you're only as good as how well you've rested um, and um, if, if you neglect rest and I'm talking recovery recovery 
runs or rides or swims. You, know, you just can't you just can't run hard all the time. You've, you've got to got to give your body a break so that um, you can run harder when it counts. Um, so if you don't rest and recover, you can't run hard when you want to run hard because you're you're too tired to, to actually get the benefit of the hard session. And therefore, you're not pushing yourself hard enough. And then in the recovery sessions, you're pushing yourself too hard. So you, you train in that middle area. You don't train high enough and you don't recover low enough. And, and I think I've based my whole philosophy around that um, from, from that experience of, you know, 81, 82, all the way up to 85, 86, just training flat out every day and, not really improving, um, being somewhere, somewhere around the mark. And the guys who were talented could do the training hard and race hard, uh, whereas I wasn't as talented as them. I needed to actually, you know, be a bit more scientific uh, about about everything. And I think that was a game changer for me. And and from that point on, um, you know, I was able to help people, even, even coaching people in the 80s uh, in triathlon. Of course, when you win something, people want to associate with winners and wanted to know how I went about winning that event. So, you know, at that time, I was pretty naive and I was quite happy to tell everybody how to train. Um, and really, I was, I was giving away all my secrets, which, which, you know, now I'm happy to do um, as a coach. But, uh, but I learned so much in that journey. Um, but it was, it was a combination of what I'd learned from Jeff Watt in the 60s as a running coach and, you know, what I'd learned at, at uni, uh, what I'd learned from other athletes. It was, it's never just one thing. It's always a, a combination of things that you can, you know, the more networking you can gather, uh, the better informed information you can uh, 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 get across. You can make, make better decisions yep. um, about, about everything. So, so being informed was, uh, was one of the things that I was hell-bent on, uh, on making sure I, I had every, uh, every um, box ticked uh, on that journey. And, and now, um, as a coach with Travello, Jerry, um, I've seen you on some of our family holidays uh, looking at the athletes you coach and their training, and you use a platform, I think it's Training Peaks, um, and uh, like I remember you showing me this traffic light system uh, in their training calendar, and an easy day was green, and um, either starting to struggle they, they mark it as red. Like, uh, do, how do you monitor training load um, with athletes that you coach uh, to make sure that they are, do have that nice balance between uh, hard days and easy days and they don't get stuck in that gray area and they're making sure that they're training effectively? Yeah, there's a lot in that question, yeah. Dane. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, training Peaks is a really good uh, platform that we use and, and look, uh, the system that Training Peaks uses is green is for, and this is based around what I think. Um, green is is really for consistency. So if you've managed to do the time or the duration of the session, you get a green. Um, you get a red if you haven't done the session. You get an orange if you've done it, but not possibly the time. Um, it doesn't tell you much about intensity, um, and that's where my job is to go into the session and find out how well they've they've done in terms of. If I've asked them to do six by one K reps at four minute K pace, and I look it up and they've done four by one K reps at 450 pace, but they've still done the hours training, it looks like green. Um, so, you know, looks can be deceiving. Um, so I wanna know what, why did you run 450 pace instead of four minute K pace? And then the discussion starts and I'm not feeling too good today. And, and so that's, that's the area where I think the coach is valuable. Um, 
to to really be on top of uh, you know whether the, the athlete is struggling and and you know I'm using all of my exercise physiology experience and my own training on myself to know that you know periodization can work for for older athletes where they can only train hard for ten days. Uh, younger athletes can can probably only train hard for twelve days, but you know, guys who, who, who are at the peak of their, their running career or triathlon career, you know, they can handle two or three weeks uh, load. Um, so, so understanding the athlete's uh, age and, and capabilities and level, um, and the load is the key, you know. Once you, once you can't start achieving the, the goals of the intensity, then we've got to ask questions, what, what's happening? Um, and so you try, to prevent, you try to prevent injury or illness before it occurs, and that's why... Um, the, the training peaks diary. I, you know, I still remember in the eighties. I've I've got the books at home, which I show my kids. You know, I've got three or four books that are full of every session that I've ever ever did from from uh, nineteen eighty one through to to nineteen ninety. You know, nine years of training sessions. Um, you know, week one, week two, up to week seven thousand. You know, <laughs> every session's in a diary, and I can look back and see totals and see what worked and see what didn't work and. Um, so there's so much good, valuable feedback you're getting from uh, from these sort of uh, metrics um, that that it can be a useful tool to understanding um, how each athlete is is coping with the, with the program and um, and and you know they're the things that I really uh, hone in on and I, there's a comment section too so athletes can can say to me ah oh, that was hopeless you know I, I was no good today um, and therefore you know we've already started a dialogue of oh what what is happening what, are you not sleeping is there stress at work uh, are you injured are you going to get sick um, what's your heart rate resting doing so there's so many things as a coach that you can ask questions about because you should be able to do the program because I'm basing it on good periodization you know some some solid training with good rest a week of rest where we still train but there's no intensity um, so I'm a big believer in, you know, frequency, duration, and intensity. They're the three things that, that we have to manipulate uh, as athletes and as coaches. And, and the key thing is you won't get any improvement without the frequency. So you need to be consistent. And it's no good training the house down for three or four days and then having three or four days off. You've just lost that frequency factor, that, that consistency you know, a person who trains really hard but infrequently, by the time he gets to the race day, compared to a person who trains very consistently but possibly only moderate to hard, he will have a better outcome on race day because of, of the consistency factor. Um, so, yep. so I suppose that's really how I'm basing um, uh, all of my coaching mythology around uh, making sure that uh, we, we, we know uh, how, how they're coping with, with the consistency and once we get that habit formed... Um, then we can increase the duration with progressive overload. And then we can start talking about, let's put some intensity into the program. But it takes a while to get to that point. And, you know, people come to us wanting a program for eight weeks, you know, and it might be a marathon for eight weeks. And you yourself would laugh at that, you know. What do you mean you want to do a marathon yeah. in eight weeks? You know, <laughs> but that's the, the, the questions we get asked sometimes. And, you know, the time factor is such an important thing when you when you get someone asking you, I want you to help me for this event, I'll say, well, what event is it and what, what, you know, how soon is it on the calendar? 
oh, it's in eight weeks. And, you know, it's something like the equivalent of a marathon. Um, so, you know, understanding your goals and stuff is, is really important uh, to, to make sure that you can uh, do, the, do the required work to get you to the start line. And that sometimes is the hardest part, isn't it? Getting, getting to the start line uninjured, un fresh, not ill, not having missed 50% of your training. Um, and, you know, you'll have a good day if all those things go well. But, uh, but that's the battle is uh, getting yourself to the start line, I reckon. Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, and that sort of reminds me, like while you're talking, Jerry, I, I, for some reason this just stuck in my mind. Um, it would have been five or six years ago, but I, I always remember on one of our family holidays, you saying, um, I think you're training for something, um, or we were talking about training, and and uh, you're, you're one that like you you train well and you, you do everything with, well with training, but then outside of training, you're also like quite meticulous with. Um, what you eat, um, what you put in your body and your sleep and things like that. Um, and I always remember you saying that if you, if you really 100%, you know, want to go well in a goal um, or you've got this goal, then why would you try 100% in training and then not try 100% outside of training? Um, uh, so, yeah, I just wanted you to speak a bit more to, to that kind of uh, philosophy as well because I think that's something that a lot of athletes, endurance athletes, um, they really do just hone in on the training and then, I mean, it's all right to have advice and, 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 and you know, relax a little bit here and there, but um, I guess sometimes uh, some of the adaptation and, and the, the improvement that they could have is lost because they, they uh, you know, don't have enough sleep or they don't eat well. Oh, it's so true. And it's, uh, it's a little bit of a, a fine line, I think. Um, I've, I've really mellowed, I think, from my steely determination that I had as a a, a teenager and as a as a in the tw my twenties and thirties, where I was single-minded, um, this is what I'm doing, and there was nothing going to get in my way. That was the attitude and the approach I had. Um, and you know, I think you think you have to have some of that to be successful. Um, but in in later years, I, I really believe that um, if you're extreme in anything, it's unsustainable. I think I've learned that lesson. That's one of the big things I've learned. Um, you know, if the example is I'm going, oh, say I'm 100 kilo and I want to get to 80 and I, I have a goal of doing it in two or three weeks. Yeah. Well, you possibly could do it if you didn't eat for two or three weeks. <laughs> I'm using an extreme example yeah, that's as an it. extreme. And, uh, and, and but after that, you, you would need to go back to your normal eating habits because what you did was extreme. You know, you're better off being losing two kilo each fortnight over a period of 40 weeks and you'll get to 80 kilo. And that's being moderate, that, you know, not extreme, um, not lazy, but in the middle. So I'm a real big believer in, um, in doing every, everything um, in moderation now, um, but still have that determination, that motivation to, to not miss, to be consistent, to hit the targets, to be training hard when you have to. But, but not extremely training hard all the time, you know, resting well. So, so the thought process, process of being a moderate athlete sounds like I mean take it easy. I don't mean that. I mean not extreme or not lazy. I mean be in the middle of the spectrum um, and you will be able to sustain this forever. So, so my, my eating re regime, for example, once I was taught 
you know, from the experts. I, I got information from the right people. And now I can I can have this eating regime for the rest of my life with with days where I eat some crap, but it's not part of my diet. It's it's an exception. Um, I don't I don't be extreme and not eat crap ever. That's not because that's extreme, and you become a bore to people where you go out for dinner and you can't have that and you can't have you know save up those those nights when you're going out where you can eat and drink like like a, a normal human does who's not caring about you know they might do that every night of the week which is extreme which is the reason why they're probably unfit and overweight um so so i'm trying to you know i'll have a beer when i when i when i want to and and i'm not going to go eight months without drinking a, a beer you know that's an extreme thing which is really hard hard to, to manage so so my whole philosophy is to to be everything in moderation and you can sustain it forever that's that's the, the thing that that will keep the everyday athlete and even you know the, the, the elite athletes that you you might be talking about who are who are training so professionally um uh you know all of their running is really well executed all their training programs they're never late they never miss they're consistent but they don't do anything else to help them off their running shoes when they don't have their running shoes on they become like every other person where they they should be the same person as a runner as everyday person they should be concentrating on you know am i getting enough sleep this week you know this is a hard period of my training um, i can't be up at 12 o'clock four nights in a row and get up at 4 a.m to train because that's that's going to get me stick um i can't go out partying saturday friday saturday sunday and drinking because i'm not going to be able to train properly because i feel crap um, during the training session because of the alcohol and the late night, you know, and I'm not going to have uh, takeaway food from Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And these sound obvious, but this is what we do to it ourselves. Um, and if we just did it in moderation and, and not, not as extreme as I've just um, given examples for, um, you can be professional off, off the running shoes and we call it off the bike or, you know, uh, with the goggles off as much as you can be professional, you know, with your running shoes on. So, so taking time to get massage, taking time to go and see your your physio or your osteo or your uh, GP just to measure your blood levels or your, 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 you know, how the structure of your body is functioning, any little niggles, keep on top of them so that they don't become major injuries, um, doing the stretching, doing the core and conditioning, eating well, being hydrated. Um, you know, there are so many other things you can do that don't take a lot of time that you can contribute to to being a well-rounded athlete that's not extreme but has all the boxes ticked um and i think i think that's the main thing i learned um really early on was and i think that's from the discussion you and i had at the time was why am i training so hard and yet i let myself down in all these other aspects of my life um i'm not saying be a monk and and uh hide away you know enjoy yourself be social but at the same time, pick and choose the times when you want to do it. Um, and if you, you know, if you, even if you're a, a beginner triathlete and you want to do an Ironman, you're going to have to have some sacrifices along that journey if you want to have a good outcome. And to think that you know, and you've got to respect the event. It's it's an incredibly difficult event, just like a marathon is. It's it's always freaks me out when people say, you know, when they're talking with their mates at the coffee shop, oh, I'm going to do the Melbourne Marathon and the guys on the table go, oh, that's a good idea. I might join you. And they haven't run for five years. And, you know, they're, they're just, it's easy to say those words, I'm going to do a marathon, but 
But what about the detail of how much time it's going to take, the preparation, the things I'm going to have to do differently, changes I have to make in my life, um, not extreme, but just, you know, I have to change something in my life to get myself fit enough to get across the line at the end or get to the start line even. Um, and, and they're the things that I'm really interested in in, in uh, helping in my coaching business, um, helping under people understand the event that they're so easily flowing off their mind. I'm going to do the marathon. I'm going to do the Ironman. Um, but, you know, just to understand what actually are you committing to. Um, and if you're not willing to do all the things along the journey, then, you know, the whole idea about putting a challenge in front of people is to give yourself a focus uh, for a process and getting an outcome. So if you're not willing to do that process and, and, and focus on, on the journey, the, the day is going to be terrible. Um, and it's going to be one of those things that you're going to regret doing and you probably won't ever do it again. So it, it's actually a turnoff really that rather than, um, than something that's uh, turned out to be you know, a, good, a good idea at a coffee shop, turns out to be a disaster um, at, by the end of the time you get to race day. So, so I'm really, that, that aspect of it really intrigues me how people um, uh, have goals, but they haven't really thought them through. Um, and um, I'm all for goals. I, I'm a real goal person. And I think that's what gets me up in the morning. If I didn't have my own personal goals, um, I, I don't think I could get up at, if I had to get up at four o'clock for some training sessions, which I have done over many, many years um, for swimming squad, for, for, for meeting mates at cycling events. Um, so, you know, that's the thing that motivates me. And I always look backwards from race day saying, how am I going to feel uh, when race day comes if I had missed all these sessions and slept in, turned the alarm clock off? You have to have some sort of um, discipline and structure that's going to enable you to, to stand on the start line at the start of your marathon going, huh, I'm so well prepared. I'm very happy. I've got a race plan. And, and I look around, you know, the other two or 3,000 people on the start line who are very anxious going, I've got no idea what's going to happen here. I don't think I've prepared myself very well for this. <laughs> um, so, so the, the feeling is chalk and cheese. Um, and uh, I think it comes back to that. Um, but understanding um, the requirements, but, uh, but also uh, going through the process as in moderation, um, but having good structure uh, yeah. to, to base your, uh, to base your uh, training and, and your living. Because, you, you know, we did talk on the podcast when we had you on about, uh, I call it the triangle. You called it a wheel, which was really good to hear. Yeah. Um, I've got the triangle, which is work, uh, family, and your passion, which is the recreation. And if work and family aren't going too well, what happens to the triangle? It, it basically collapses. No matter how much you want to train, you, you, can't, you can't do it because there's too many other factors. So you have to have everything in harmony. And and if you're too extreme in your training, I guarantee the family or work is going to suffer. If you're too extreme at work, your training or your family is going to suffer. You know, I don't, I don't hear people just concentrating on family too much. It's always the other two, work or, or, uh, or training too much. So if you can, if you have a have a happy medium of moderation in all those three things, but still be goal orientated. I, I just think you've given yourself every chance to succeed, and and I suppose that's my philosophy now. From even from when I first, you know, got success as in that very first race. And, you know, as a junior, I had a lot of success, but not at that level um, as an open, you know, as an age group athlete, you know, it's different to, to, to winning an open, um, an open event. So, so that really changed my thought process on, on how to prepare for things and, 
and uh, to make sure that you are, you know, have thought through every every aspect of it and um, and not be extreme, I suppose, is where I'm coming from. No, Jerry, that like all of that is absolutely gold. Um, like that's as a physio of ten years, like that's probably one of the biggest uh, uh, things that I've picked up when patients are, you know, really willing and passionate to make a change in their life. Often they do it a bit too uh, passionately and, and too quickly and, and uh, they, they set off, you know, full steam ahead and try to make all these changes. And, and uh, I, I used to do it as a physio as well. I think I used to load up some of my patients with 10 exercises and, um, and then you see them a week or two later and um, you just gave them too much to, to try to do. And, um, and since then I've, I've realized that, uh, yeah, often, you know, you know, if someone's struggling to get to the gym, then you know, maybe just rock up to the gym Monday, Wednesday, Friday, don't even go in, but just, just get there and then drive home and, and stuff like that, or, or give a patient, um, one or two or three exercises rather than a whole dozen exercises. Um, and then like some of the, some of the runners that I've seen that are, you know, really keen to, to, to lose weight because they feel like that's a big part of their pain. Um, rather than going on some radical diet, just changing perhaps one of the, one of the vices or one of the, one of the things that they feel like they can change rather than a whole, whole host of, of them. Um, so that, that sustainable outlook on change is probably, um, uh, something that they, someone feel like they can do it for, for the rest of their life or for a long time is probably like the, the biggest thing that, um, I've noticed that when you see someone that succeeds in changing, um, they've gone about it in a slow paced way and it's become routine rather than trying to change, change their world all at once. Yeah. Oh, so true, Dane. That's a great summary. You know, and that's probably what I've been trying to say for 15 minutes. You've summed it up very well. Um, you just can't, it's an extreme, extremeness of changing everything. You're going to fail. Um, that's, you know, that's the bottom line. If you do too much radical changes, it's unsustainable and uh, doing small steps, tiny, small steps, you know, use your baby analogy. You've got to, You've got to be able to do crawling on your stomach and then on your hands and knees and then stand up for a bit and then walk and then you're running. You know, you don't just go from being born to running. You know, you, you've, you've got to have the, the steps in between and, and to, you know, to go from eating whatever you like to just eating only, you know, budgie food, you, you're going to struggle with your training. You know, you can't just completely change things around in the space of a day you, you've got to progress yourself just like you progressively overload yourself in a gym you don't go into a gym and start pushing bicep curls you know you and i are, are really lightweights we don't go into a gym and start pushing 100 kilo bicep curls we start off with five and that's probably too heavy for you and i um and you know we progress to 10 kilo to 15 you know and that's no different to what you you, you want your athletes to understand from a physio and from a runner you know, so many people get injured running. It's such a different sport to cycling and swimming where the load on the body is incredible. The, the force of gravity on every step that you're taking is, you know, you're just challenging every muscle and cell and tendon of your body. Whereas, you know, swimming is you're being held up by the water and cycling, the bike's holding you up. Um, so the, the, the load is different. And, and, you know, you just can't jump into a running program without 
without really um, developing. Um, <laughs> sorry, without developing. Um, uh, you know, some sort of progress, stepping stone. Um, we just so got Andy the in the, the background. Day, um, huh? <laughs> <laughs> it'll be entertaining for some people anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, that's great, Jerry. Um, on that, um, I had this question and, and I've always wanted to ask you this. Um, you've coached a lot of cyclists and, and triathletes uh, in, in, in recent years what are some similarities and what are some differences um, between uh, their cyclists and triathlon triathletes training to to say a runner's training and and are there some some differences that you feel like runners could perhaps benefit from in terms of the training methodologies that you use for cyclists and triathletes? It's a pretty tough question, but uh, um, I'd be yeah. interested in like just your thoughts. Yeah, look, and as I've said many times to many people, uh, I'm not an expert in anything, um, but I, I, I really investigate and and do a lot of trial and error, um, pretty much on myself. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, I've really, I really think there is scope for runners to be a little bit more broad-minded thinking, um, and it's only because I've come from a running background and joined into a sport that had running in it, um, but it also had swimming and riding. And I'm a, I'm a massive believer that my running improved um, out of sight because of my swimming and riding. Um, and, you know, instead of running, you know, I know the, the regime you give yourself, um, you know, sometimes twice a day running, seven days a week, you know, you could possibly yeah. be doing 14 sessions, um, you know, between 10 and 14 sessions a week. and. And, you know, I've seen some outstanding results from the runners that I coach in triathlon improve their running with four sessions a week. Uh, and from a runner's to hear that, they would go, oh, I'm not cutting back. <laughs> well, I'm, not, I'm not saying cut back, but, but they're getting incredible cardio from swimming where they've got their head in the water and it's really teaching them breathing. Um, that's one thing I think could, could be helpful. Um, Definitely recovery on the bike uh, sessions. I would be not recovering as a runner or doing recovery runs. I would be recovering as a as an easy pedal because let's face it, we're just trying to get blood flow around the body to repair the damaged muscles. And the more of that we can get without impacting fatigue, the quicker we're gonna recover. So, so I'd be doing a bit of stationary training, um, you know, People say, oh, it's boring. But if you know what the, the purpose is, it's easy to, to do it. Um, this is helping me. I'm going to do it. Um, that's my thought process. Um, and there's ways around it. You can listen to music. You can join Zwift, you know, but I wouldn't actually recommend that because when you join Zwift, it's a competitive uh, uh, platform and all you end up doing is riding hard, which is yep. not the purpose of the recovery session. So. <laughs> So riding outside's great, but if you live where I live in the Dandenongs, there is no flat piece of road. So that's, that's not helping me recover. I'm riding uphill. It's just creating more fatigue. So, so you know, I just think that runners, and, and as I said, I'm not, a, you know, an elite runner, um, but I definitely think that the runners that I coach um, have really improved because the recovery um, has been better not running, not doing running recovery, but doing um, a different sport recovery, such as swimming and, and riding. Um, 
And you know that, that would be one thing that I would I would be recommending if, if people could, if they want if they wanted to try things is is to get a stationary bike and and just roll the legs over and and look I'm talking if you know the equivalent would be if I went out with my mum who's 87, she could keep up with me or possibly ride faster than I'm going. So that's the pace I'm talking. It, you know you could be sitting there typing emails. You're just rolling your legs over. You know there's no fitness gain here. It's recovery. Um, yep. just blood flow. So, so once people understand that, then, um, you know, and you don't, you don't have to be there for 20 minutes or 30 minutes, you know, it's not something you have to do for hours. It's, it's just a short, like you said before, rather than giving someone 10 physio rehab exercises, here's two, go and do them well and, yep. and see how much you can improve. So I don't think more is necessarily better. And that would be a philosophy that I would, I would, uh, um, if I could, not tell people what to do, but uh, that would be my advice. Would be more is not not always better. Um, more of something different might might actually help. And I've got you know that many uh, uh, riders who have improved their riding uh, by me giving them some some uh, running sessions. Um, and they're not right. They're not runners, and they're not trying to do any. I'm talking about cyclists here, not triathletes. I've got cyclists who do well by doing some little walking or running sessions because they're they're building up the gravity aspect of um, of weight uh, uh, functionality rather than being uh, you know the water's holding them up or the bike's holding them up. They're not doing anything where their body and their the skeletal system is being stressed. So yeah. I think that you know as triathletes or cyclists they can. Uh, sorry, not triathletes. As cyclists, they can learn a lot from from doing some another sport. Just like I'm saying, for runners can learn a lot from from doing um, something left field. Um, and it's going to make you. And I've said early in the in the podcast, the days where you want to train hard, they're the key days. You don't want to get them wrong. And if you've got any fatigue in those days, you're not going to get the outcome, and therefore the progressive improvement that your program is based around if you can't train hard enough on those days. Um, and I think that's a key concept. People say, but I train so hard. But you train so hard every day instead of training hard when it counts and training easy when it counts. And I think if you do too much running, um, you know, you've, you've got to get running fit. There's no doubt about that. But, you know, people who are at your level, um, you know, they, they can do with some less running. Uh, people who are beginner level, of course, the more running they can do, the better. But at the same stage, they need to actually progress slower. Um, so I would be alternating, you know, a run with a, a walk or with a ride, you know. So I wouldn't be doing two or three runs in a row, consecutive days. And that sounds, but I'm talking extremes from elite down to basic beginner runners here. So, so I definitely think um, there is scope for, for the running world to embrace um, other ways to recover other than doing a, a recovery run. Um, yeah, that's, that that's one thing. That's, that's fantastic, Jerry, because as soon as you mentioned, you know, um, you know, adding cycling in as a, as a runner straight away, my mind went to, oh, okay. So you'll be able to do like a hard session on the bike and it won't take as much out of you. But then like, it's funny how my mind straight away went to that rather than recovery. And so rather than, <laughs> rather than polarizing your training and, and getting off your legs and, and getting some blood flow and then perhaps you're fresher for your next running session. Um, so it's, it's funny how the endurance or um, uh, keen runners mind thinks 
Um, sometimes it's you're always thinking of adding in and, and thinking, oh, okay, you know, maybe adding cycling in, you can get some more volume out at those um, specific zones um, that you want to be working to try to improve your aerobic system or your VO2 max. Um, but it, it's it's like I think that's a great example, like perhaps replacing, um, especially for the runner that's really, really um, doing a lot of running, replacing some of those easy runs with a swim um, to uh, to, you know, almost sort of freshen up and loosen, loosen the legs, um, but still, still, um, yeah, turn the legs over. Um, yeah, it's, that's, that's a, that's a, a great, great idea for runners to, to be thinking because I think it, uh, yeah, I think we so much, many of us are always thinking about adding in rather than taking away, um, uh, to improve our performance. If Dane, if, if someone like, um, um, Kipchoge program included swim sessions, you would have every runner in the world including swim sessions. Someone who's a leading performer only has to tell people this is what I do and everybody would do it. Um, we don't know what he does every day, we've got an idea um, and you know I'm imagining he does a lot of good things off his running shoes um, when he's not running. Um, but but it only takes someone to have success with this and it can be, you know, game changing in the sport of running. Um, it's not something new, you know, mostly people would use the bike for rehab um, when they're coming back from injury. But I, I'm, I'm thinking from left field saying, well, no, this is, this is something, that, you know, that could definitely help you uh, freshen up for the right sessions of training. So you will become a better, a better runner and, and, you know, I've experimented on this myself um, many times rather than doing more running sessions, just, you know, recovering easy rather than um, creating more fatigue. With your coaching over, um, yeah, m most recent years, what have some of the highlights been of, um, yeah, get, getting into the coaching business? Um, like what, what has um, really made it so fun and, and, and something that you've really cherished doing uh, like whether it's from um, an athlete point of view or yeah, there's some highlights. What do you really cherish each day uh, with Trevello, um, you know, triathlon and cycling coaching and the athletes that you coach? That's a great question. Uh, I just pinch myself, Dane, every time I wake up, well, how good a job have I got? Um, I, can, I can help people that, I, that are asking for help and I, I get to know them, um, uh, know, I know what type of person they are, I know how they tick, and it's almost when they when they improve, and whether it's just setting a faster 10K time or 5K time or going around the block quicker or winning a race, or it doesn't matter, as long as they're improving, it feels like one of my kids. I get the same feeling, the joy and satisfaction of seeing someone improve is what gets me up every day and and the fact that i can give all of, i can't i can't tell people enough about this is this will work just try this do this there's so much information i want to give to people to make sure that they're on the journey of improvement um and uh, it's it's just the best job ever to to know that uh you've got a group of people who are looking to you for for leadership and for for advice and for direction and and you know and you're confident that what you give them will improve them as long as they're prepared to, 
to go with you on the journey um, and to see the satisfaction in their face. They might be in a running group and they're doing a particular program with you and they might, in the pecking order of the running group, be always at the back and struggling to keep up. And six weeks later, after they've been on your program, they're now in the middle of the pack and someone says, hey, Dane, you're, you're really going well. What are you doing? And, and that, to me, is gold. That's like, uh, that's like a medal. Um, and all of a sudden, they're starting to get noticed in their pack of runners or, or a, a bunch, you know, more in cycling because you, you see all of the bunches on, in, on Beach Road in, in local Melbourne and, and guys who come to me say, oh, I just want to be part of the bunch and not be getting dropped all the time. And I want to, you know, I want to inflict some pain on some others. And, and you know, that's our goal. That's our, that's our PB improvement. And, you know, it might take 16 weeks or 20 weeks, but all of a sudden they're moving their way through the peloton and starting to be a player in the bunch. And, and you know, for them to ring me on a Sunday afternoon or text me saying, I gave it to him today. It was fantastic. The most enjoyable ride I've ever had. It's just so good to hear all of that. That's gold to me. Um, and that's the buzz I get. And, and it doesn't have to be, Dane, someone winning a marathon or a triathlon. Um, it's someone who's just improving. I'm, I just care about people wanting to improve, um, whether it's just for health and fitness so that they can function as a better human or whether they've got goals that they're setting. It might be, you know, a local 10K or, or they've never run further than, you know, 15K. They want to try and run 15K themselves. Um, and, you know, they, they want to break six-minute K pace. Um, they're all goals that I can, I can uh, work together with them. And, you know, it's a great, it's a great phone call when, when they ring and say, I did it. Um, the buzz that I get from it, uh, uh, and I could do this forever. This is, uh, I just wished I'd started earlier. And I mean, I did coach people in the 80s, um, um, but it, we had no no platform to, you know, I would send out in, in a letter the program for the month, you know. They would get it by mail. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, and I had no idea how they were going except for when I met up with them. Um you know, because they would have to send a letter back telling me um, I've succeeded in doing these sessions uh, or we'd meet up, you know, we would meet to see how they were going. So so it's come a long way and, and we're so lucky and fortunate now to have all of this equipment and data and feedback. You know, I, I just think we've got it easy now and, um, and people still can't, you know, with all of this advice that's out there, people still struggle with the basics, which is go and do it. You know, yep. you've, you've got you've got a plan, go and do it. Um, yep. Oh, but, but this isn't working. My watch isn't working. Oh, bad luck. Just <laughs> it's not working on the day. Do the session by feel, you know. Don't use that as a reason. You're obviously not passionate about the session if, if you're using that to stop you. So, so you know, I'm probably a hard nut sometimes, but, um, but at the end of the day, I'm just passionate about making sure people are improving. I do get frustrated if people come back saying, oh, I don't feel like I'm improving. And I'll say, but on Training Peaks, it's got 33 reds and four greens. What do you think's going to happen? You know, you've got no consistency in your training. So, so let's have a think about that. So, you know, there's always a reason why things are happening. And the, the most fun you have with the people who are just committed to, to just doing everything, you know, it's almost, you know, whatever you say, I'll do. I love those athletes. Whatever you say, I'll do. 
Um, and, you know, even I get carried away sometimes and I have to say to him, hey, slow down a bit, pull back, it's time to have a rest. And no, 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 I don't want to rest, I'm going well. You know, it's it's that sort of athlete that's the fun athlete um, that you you get the most joy out of. Um, but but certainly what I'm doing is is uh, it's something that I'm, I'm blessed to have this opportunity to help people. And um, and uh, as long as people are improving, um, I'll, I'll still uh, still be out there helping. And on that, how, how powerful is that that mindset to success and improving? So, um, like, obviously, you can make a training program, but how do you empower an athlete to be really optimistic and, and really driven? Like, how hard is it to um, get that behavioural change and that buy-in? Um, yeah, it's, it's, that's a pretty hard question. Everyone's so different and, and there's always aspects of, th- of different things going on in your life um that uh but yeah how, how important is um yeah mindset as well to um what you've seen to all the athletes that you coach that seem to to go well like how important is that part yeah the correlation between commitment and and results is massive um and the correlation between half-heartedness and results is also uh, massive but n- n- not everybody can be totally committed everybody's got a job and everybody's got family so again it comes back to that balance um and uh, you know i've got examples so many examples of guys who um have and i just had a phone call last week from a guy in new zealand who i absolutely love talking to cameron and he's told me some stories well, i'm going to do a podcast with him and he gets on the phone to me and he calls me Gerard, and uh, <laughs> I, I love that. Uh, he says, I just can't believe how much you've changed. You've changed my life. I used to be a drunk. I used to be overweight. Um, since I've started the program, my business has gone up 35%. Of my family my, my family loved me. They used to hate me. Um, you know, stories like that um, where, where if, if, if you have structure in one aspect of your life, and it succeeded. It starts to succeed. Then why can't you implement that business into your work? Uh, and then spend more time with your family. You know, don't be don't be half with your family, half at work and half training. You know, be organised, be structured, um, but be flexible. But don't be extreme. You know, these are the things that that are, that are absolutely important. Um, and if you can get anything out of what we're talking about today, that that's gonna you know, when I look back in hindsight from where I am at 62 to to where I was as a as a, a just a, a disciplined, determined, bullet a gate athlete who just was so competitive, I would want to win at marbles. You know, <laughs> it meant that much to me. Um, to where I am now, um, you know, that is unsustainable. That approach, you, you just have to be balanced in everything you do. And if you've got a really good structured plan around anything you do in your life, you know, you will get a good outcome. Um, as long as you've got all the information um, in front of you, you can make so many better decisions. You know, if you're, if you're thinking there's a niggle in your leg and you keep training hard, um, you didn't listen to the information that you were giving yourself, you know. Um, there's things happen for a reason. And if you don't take the cues, then you head down the wrong track really quickly and it can unravel so quickly. So, so you know, the people 
the people's mindset is so important to understand um, the journey they're on and the expectation they have is all, it all has to come within. I can be a director and an advisor and a facilitator, but I can't be the person, like I said before, to do the session for you. That has to come with you. And if you're, if you're not in that headspace, I'm the first to say, you need to take a break, Dane. Yeah. You know, you need to, you need to take a break and get the passion back. And until you've got that, you know, come back and see me then. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be here as your motivator. I'm not that person. Um, the people who succeed are self-motivated, they, but they need help in knowing what to do and when to do it. Um, and, and that's, that's where I see my role. And, and for those who need constant reaffirming, um, and motivation, um, if you, if you are in charge of your own destiny, when you go and do a session, Dane, you know, for example, I'll pick on you. If yeah. you, if you're doing say eight, four hundreds and you're supposed to be running them at 55 to 57, um, <laughs> I've never done that before. <laughs> Yeah, the last two at, uh, you know, at 54, um, <laughs> if you're training for the Olympics, um, or if you're, if you're a beginner athlete who's trying to run six 400s at 60, 68 or 69, sorry, 88 or 89, and you're a mediocre athlete at 68 or 69, and you come away from the track and you've run 67, 66 instead of 68, 69, you, you, you instantly have feedback that, that you're, you've, you know, you don't need me to say, hey, Dane, that was fantastic. But you've got the feedback straight away. If you're on the bike and you're supposed to be doing reps of, uh, you know, four minutes at, at 300 watts and you nail all, all of them, you've got instant feedback. You're, you're in, across your data. You know your numbers. You know your pace. You know, for people to say, what am I doing today? And what pace am I running at? I'll say, what did you run last week? What were your six efforts last week on the 400s? I don't know. That's someone who's not invested. You know, you yourself would know exactly what you ran two years ago yeah. in six 400s, you know, when you were running well. And, and when you were running poorly, you, you know, you're running all of them in 65 instead of 61. Um, so, so an athlete who's invested in his own uh, uh, data is the easiest athlete to coach uh, because they're across it. They're, they're doing their own research, their own homework. Um, and I'm facilitating what to do, when to do it. Um, they're the ones who are getting the feedback. So, so the mind, I'm really trying to encourage people to have their own, their mindset is on focusing on, on their own uh, journey and knowing, knowing how they're progressing. The feedback that they're getting needs to be them. You know yourself, if you, if you get home and you've done a session, you'll go in, check the numbers that you did. What was your heart rate in the rest period? Um, you know, all these things I'm, I'm talking about, every athlete who's listening to this will, will at some stage, if they're worth their salt, will have gone back and checked sessions. And, and even come race day, you'll go back and, and I do this all the time, you'll go back and check your last six weeks of training and go, well, I want to run 3.30 pace today the whole way. What are my last six fast runs been? Oh, here's one at 3.23, here's one at 3.27, here's one at 3.34. It instills confidence. You're getting feedback. You've got data in front of you. You know, the more information you have, the better decisions you make. So already on the start line, you go, I've done this heaps of times in training. This is just another example of that, except the difference is I'm tapered and I'm fresh. So it should be a piece of cake to hold these numbers. 
So, so they're, the, they're the athletes that, that will do the correlation between those athletes and the athletes who don't take any notice of their data and are just being spoon-fed. The difference between the outcome is incredible. Um, yep. I suppose they're the ones I want to work with more. Um, I know there is a percentage of people who, who just want to know what to do, when to do it, and I'm okay with that, but the, the results won't be as good uh, because they're not invested um, in it and they're not passionate. You know, you can tell the passionate people, if you like doing something, you'll be good at it. You know, yeah. if you like playing guitar and you're crap at it, but you keep practicing, eventually you'll be good at it because you love it. Yeah. But if, if someone tells you to go and learn guitar and you hate it and you don't want to do it as a, as a young kid, you'll be crap at it forever because you don't have the passion to learn and improve. And it's no different in, in your chosen sport or your chosen recreation. That's fantastic, Jerry. Um, yeah, I really agree with that. I've, I've noticed um, even just – I've only coached um, a few athletes for a year or so, um, but I've really seen the, the how important that – that inner fire and that inner passion is to, if they really love their sport, they're just, they're ticking off um, all the one percenters and and they're um, becoming a bit more of an in-depth learner. They're, they're knowing why, why they're doing it. Um, they're reading into it. They're trying to understand the purpose of each training session. Um, the danger is sometimes they get carried away um, uh, but that's where I guess the coach's um, role is to try to hold them back. But I think it's important for everyone to know that everyone goes through you know, periods of mm. like lack of motivation, um, like that's normal. Uh, but but at, at the same time, I, I think when you see those really successful uh, performers, uh, they understand the basics that they have to get right and, and, and uh, they understand the certain parts of training that is just a must and, and they need to be consistent with, like, like brushing your teeth. And uh, they just get it done even on those, those, those tough days. And, and wherever it is, they need to have a period of, of downtime to, to recover and, and get that, that passion back. But yeah, that, I reckon you summarized it so well, because um, I think that's a, that's a bit of a, a hidden part of um, successful performance uh, that's um, it sounds basic, but it, it's something that I think a lot of, lot of, um, athletes will, um, it's good for them to hear, um, and get reminded of, um, uh, yeah, because I, I, there is definitely a strong correlation. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as you said, you can get too carried away and, and too single-minded. And again, that's where the moderation part of it, you know, and I use the example of, you know, you've done your great session, you're really happy, you've come home, you've checked your numbers and, and that's it, it's finished, move on, you know, but just don't carry on with that for, you know, seven, eight more hours. That's, that's extreme behavior, you know, right, what's next? I've got to focus on something to do with work. I've got to go and help someone, my family, you know, the session's done, move on and, and keep that moderation, uh, that evenness, that level, level playing field sort of thing and not be extreme all the time um, and, and uh, so so concentrated that you're forgetting what's happening around you, you know, the life that's going on around you, you're missing. Um, so so I think that's that's another lesson that I've definitely learned the hard way myself and, um, you know, you can, you can burn bridges um, because you're just missing things. Um, 
you're just too involved in what you're doing. Um, and at the end of the day, uh, as we said, a, long, a lot of the times in this conversation, extreme behaviour is unsustainable. Um, so something's going to break down, um, whether it's your body or your family or your relationship or your work. It is extreme behaviour is unsustainable, and um, and you just got to you know try to be moderate in in uh, in everything you're doing, but be consistent. That's that's my my tip. If if I'm going to give one tip, that'll be it. That's a consistently moderate. That's a great summary of pretty much the podcast. Uh, you know, some of your coaching philosophy and um, the things that you've shared today, uh, they really centre on that sustainable change and and for an athlete to value recovery and how important recovery is um, to successful performance. Um, so, yeah, is there any anything else, Jerry, that like really that you're really passionate about with your coaching that uh, you you really like sharing? Like any other messages, or are they the main ones? Are they the crux of it? Uh, and and then following on for that, if someone was interested to follow up and, and find out more about Travello uh, coaching, uh, where where do they find you? Um, yes, there's a couple of things in that, I suppose. Um, I, I really just think uh, everybody's got their own individual journey. And, um, and I think uh, uh, that's, that's the first thing that uh, people who come to our, our community, uh, the Travello community, um, you know, once we understand what, what people are about, then, then we can help them. Um, and, you know, and we're easily contactable, um, as you know, you don't have to, you don't have to go and search the libraries. It's, it's just, uh, you know, trivalacoaching.com.au, um, Google that, and, uh, that'll be your first step in, in, uh, in your decision-making. Um, and, uh, at the end of the day, um, we'd love to have a chat to people who, who've listened to this podcast and are motivated, um, are happy to follow structure um, and, and uh, you know, willing to adapt and change uh, their ways and, um, and, and be prepared to be consistent. You know, as you said before, there's days where you really don't feel like doing it, um, but you know that it's a, you're on a journey and, and you know, there's, there's so many pieces to the puzzle. If you just skip one bit of the puzzle, that, you know, the puzzle's incomplete at the end of the journey. So, um, so if, if, if you can just get the mindset that this is, this is a decision I'm making at the start of this process and I'm going to follow it all, all the way through. And that in itself is a great lesson uh, for every other aspect of your life. You know, if you can, if you can have a successful little uh, program to, a, to an event or to a, to a purpose, you can put that into your, every other aspect of your life. And, and I think uh, that balance um, is a really good lesson to learn from an athletic point of view. There are so many successful athletes around the world who've, who've put the philosophy of what they've done um, as, a, as a successful athlete into their, their business world and they've been equally as successful. And there's, a, there's exactly the same amount of unsuccessful people who've had unbelievably good careers as athletes who have had terrible uh, careers in business and in family. So, you know, there, there is opportunities for people in both ways to go both directions. Um, and uh, I think, I think you know, don't, not being too philosophical about things, but there is a lot to learn from, from having self-discipline. There's going to be hard times. There's going to be good times. Um, 
but the good times are so much more special because of the the, the periods where you're you know a little bit down um, and down at heart um, the reward for for achieving at the end is so much better than if it was easy the whole way um, um, you know the things that you've achieved you, you took years to get your first marathon win but boy was it worth the wait you know um, and you know you wouldn't you wouldn't pass up that previous 16 years of running before you got to your first marathon win for the world because it meant it enabled you to enjoy that win so much more because of what you'd experienced along that journey so so yeah philosophically i think that uh if people are willing to put in put in the work on the journey they will get the result that they want um at the end of the day it's just you know you just got to navigate your way through all of the hurdles along the journey yeah fantastic jerry um thanks so much for agreeing to jump on the podcast we covered so many good concepts today. So many runners will find uh, what we've chatted about very useful and will enjoy listening to this, whether it's to their drive to work or, you know, on a run. Uh, so thanks so much, Jerry, for jumping on the show. Uh, thanks, Dane, for having me. I appreciate it, mate. No worries.